0: Hello and welcome. My name is Chris Connor, and I'm your host for this series of interviews produced by Q-Squared Solutions. I'm having conversations with experts sharing their thoughts on laboratory considerations for immuno-oncology and companion diagnostics development. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Mike Brown, Senior Director Immunoanalytical and Bioanalytical Site Lead at Q-Squared Solutions. Dr. Brown, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: In the context of immuno-oncology, we're talking about biologics and we're measuring the concentration of the drug over time as well as observing whether it will induce an immune response that may be life-threatening or reduce the efficacy of a drug. And the sponsor would like to know not only the answers to those questions, but also have the data that the FDA and other regulatory agencies will find sufficient to agree with those conclusions. So, with a potential therapeutic in hand, how do you start to think about what tests will be needed? What kinds of things are you looking for?
1: For biologics, we know that we're going to need the pharmacokinetic drug concentration assays, and we're also going to need immunogenicity assays to measure the immune response to the treatment. So, that's... that's. Uh, sort of etched in in stone. There may also be downstream biomarkers of the body's response to the drug that could be appropriate to measure at a regulated biological laboratory. When biomarker data is going to be used to support uh, pivotal determination of safety and efficacy, or if that biomarker is going to be used to support label instructions for how to dose the compound, the FDA would expect the biomarker assay to be fully validated, and such testing would be supported by a GLP bioanalytical laboratory such as ours at Q-Squared Solutions. Now, with respect to the kind of questions that we'll have, what are we looking for to ensure that the best assay will be developed for a particular therapeutic? And that's really our goal, is we want to have an appropriate assay in place. So first, for a PK concentration assay, we're going to want to follow the journey the drug makes through the body we're going to want to see what the body does to the drug by determining the concentrations and different compartments in the body over time so we're going to need to know the structure of the drug the target population the patient population so what's the indication and for oncology what is the type of cancer we're also going to need to know how the drug's going to be administered uh, what's known about the mode of action and anticipated half-life if we're going to try to develop an assay with the appropriate quantitative range and we're going to need to know where we want to monitor the concentration. And uh, this last part, it can relate to both where we want the drug to be as, as relates to efficacy. And we're also going to, to uh, potentially be looking at safety concerns. For, for instance, you might have a drug that you don't want to get into breast milk. So s- some drugs in the oncology space may be looked at as a, more of a sledgehammer. So we're going to dose through the target and we're going to have very high circulating active therapeutic concentrations. And so we're not going to need to develop a very high sensitivity assay. There are other compounds that might show rapid removal from the blood. Uh, For example, uh, there's potent agonistic biotherapeutics and they're going to have very low doses and they're going to demand ultra sensitive detection. There's others that there might be target mediated drug distribution that's going to sort of change the dynamics of of a particular compound. In in this frame of reference, there can be a five to tenfold difference in the maximum tolerated doses between some type of biologics. And that really does inform the bioanalytical scientist into the quantitative range that we want. And one of the primary drivers of assay limit of quantitation is the the quality of reagents available to to build an assay. For immunogenicity assays, and in this context, it's referring to unwanted immunogenicity. We're going to want to know many of the same things as we would with PK, but the route of administration, the frequency of dosing, and the risk assessment of the drug, such as is there an endogenous counterpart, are, are going to be very important to us. And uh, again, generally speaking, the most challenging aspect for bioanalytical testing are having the right critical reagents to build the method. And, and also what's important is the disease state biology.
0: What aspects of the biology need to be considered?
1: Well, we need to be able to demonstrate that the assay's that we're developing show sufficient selectivity and specificity for the drug. And so, this is the ability of the method to detect the drug or antibodies to the drug uh, that are binding to the that biotherapeutic, but they're not binding to assay components. And that also includes substances within the biological matrix itself. And when we think about an antibody drug, we may need to quantitate it uh, 100 picograms per mil in an antibody background of up to 20 billion picograms per mil. So, there are also considerations of the target of the drug uh, and other drug target binding proteins that these can interfere with the reliable detection of of the drug or antibodies to the drug
0: are there other examples of types of interferences you might encounter
1: yeah we can look at some of the some of the agonistic drugs that uh, say an anti cd40 drug and depending on the mode of action and the effect of the drug target complex on clearance of the drug, we could have soluble levels of the target that show huge increases in serum concentrations relative to the drug level. And if you mix that with an assay that was built on a a particular type of antibody, not wanting to get too much into details, but a a blocking anti-idiotypic antibody, those increased circulating target of drug levels can interfere with quantitation. It can cause an underestimation of the PK drug concentration, and that's really going to to have an impact on the pharmacokineticists uh, and and the clinical pharmacology team. On the immunogenicity side, relatively common challenge is dimerization of the drug target. And again, without wanting to get into too many details, the the most common format for an immunogenicity assay is called a bridging assay. And this is an assay format that allows us to exploit the characteristics of an antibody. Uh, And it has two binding domains. uh, So it has two uh, target binding domains. And so we'll detect antibodies to the drug by binding and forming a bridge between two labeled drug targets. Uh, If there's a high level of the target of the drug that can dimerize, say that you had a CD marker that was able to be clipped off and it would go into the circulation as a dimer, it it can form a false bridge between the labeled drug leads to what's called a false positive. And it overestimates the immunogenicity of the drug. And uh, th- that's something that we want to make sure that we have a true understanding of the immunogenicity and the risk to the patient. And we don't want to have those sorts of false positives that are interfering with our, our understanding of what could be a, a, a very efficacious compound.
0: I'll just say from, you know, the conversations I've had with other folks in this series, you know, there's a lot of interesting high technology and and there's genomics and there's anatomic pathology and all these other things about figuring out biomarkers and understanding the biology of a disease. But I want to say your challenges of finding those needles in a haystack and measuring things that are in a very small quantity, perhaps up against, you know, an enormous background of similar type molecules in the matrix seems like an incredible challenge, what do sponsors need to do to be ready for those things?
1: Well, the bioanalytical scientist's first question is going to be, do you have those high affinity antibodies? Are you going to help put some tools in our toolbox to be able to, to see that needle in a haystack? And what the sponsors need to be able to do is to really have good lines of communication within their company to to make sure during the drug development program that they actually are beginning to invest in those specific materials. And there are a lot of companies out there that have internal resources that are outstanding. And there are also a lot of vendors out there that have excellent uh, experience and technological prowess to be able to generate some very useful tools. So what do they need to do? They need to just have some, some foresight to be planning for when they're going to need those very specific reagents when they get into typically the disease state. And when I mentioned the disease state biology, it's important to consider the the mode of action is going to tell us about the the interferences. And so having reagents to assess that during development is also invaluable. So if you know that the target can be shed, it can be cleaved and moved into the circulation, and it p- could potentially interfere in specific quantitation. Making some of those reagents as recombinant proteins, for instance, uh, would would be very helpful. Earlier in development, uh, a, a big challenge is that you have in your first in human, if it happens to be in a normal, healthy population, or it's in a particular cancer population uh, that can be quite, quite different in re- respect to interferences, you'll get a false sense of security that the assay can see through everything all of that 20 mg per mil of, of total antibody that might be circulating in that patient. And then when you get into the, the patient population, you see that your background is around your upper limit of quantitation, that there is something that's non-specifically binding. And so we'd, we'd like to have some reagents to characterize the risk of that on influence in the assay performance early and having disease state matrix during method development. Uh, also, in my opinion, it's critical to ensuring that once we get into that patient population, there we reduce the risk that there are going to be big surprises lurking in that biological matrix that's going to interfere with that assay selectivity. Uh, the lead times can be significant as can the price, but it, it really does mitigate risk.
0: So, you talked a little bit about early engagement, and uh, other folks in this series have talked about how important early engagement with a clinical trials partner has been. Talk about the importance of engaging the FDA early as well.
1: I can talk a little bit about the process of developing and validating these assays that we're going to support our sponsors. Uh, The phase of drug development really does uh, give us some insight into what level of bioanalytical validation needs to be completed. And a so-called fully validated immunogenicity assay, for instance, is typically the approach when preparing for human trials, but it's not necessarily needed for first in human. For high-risk compounds, or if there's a, an expectation that real-time data is going to be needed, and for pivotal trials uh, which more often in oncology studies is the first in human, we really need to have a portfolio of data to, to support that the assay has been fully validated. In that sense, it, it can be very helpful to have early conversations with the FDA to make sure that your opinion that you might not need to have a full comprehensive validation. And for immunogenicity, there's, there's three tiers and there's also a neutralization assay that would be expected uh, the FDA might expect it to be done a little sooner in the drug development program. Uh, the question about the need and the format of the immunogenicity neutralization assay is, uh, again, something that should be discussed. There are plate-based, or they're called competitive ligand binding methods, and there are also cell-based that more accurately reflect the, the nature of what's going on within the body upon dosing. And that's something that there's there's not a consensus out there at this point in time with how to do that. And I think engaging the FDA early is going to, to reduce any risk to the, your timelines. And I'd say that the, the bottom line is that all of us, everyone that's involved in drug development, whether we're in the industry or CROs or whether we're within a, a regulatory authority, is we all want to get medicine to market for patients because the, the, those patients will include families and, and friends, and it, it might be something that we're going to need. No one wants to get to that point of submission to the agency where the approach taken was not deemed acceptable and we need to go back and mitigate that, that gap and then we're going to all
0: lose time. That gets right to the heart of it. Yeah, so important to think about. Dr. Mike Brown, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. Thank you. If listeners are interested in learning more, Q Squared Solutions is hosting a free immuno-oncology scientific symposium on March 21st, 2019 in San Francisco. To register, go to www.q2labsolutions.com slash events.